The very last verse of that chapter that I read a few minutes ago reads, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When Paul wrote this letter to the people who were part of the church in the city of Corinth, he probably didn't imagine that it would still be read by people in every part of the world almost 2,000 years later. We've only read one chapter of this letter together, and perhaps it's clear, even from just one chapter, that this was a church, this was a, a group of people with great challenges and difficulties. If we read the whole of the letter, that would take us about two hours, we would see that Paul is very focused on the problems that the people in the church in Corinth were facing and the questions that they were asking. Their problems had to do with divisions in the church, questions about marriage, the use of spiritual gifts, and their relationships with one another. And I think Paul needed a lot of courage, wisdom, and love to write this letter. But as he got towards the end, he brought it all back to the thing that was for him the most essential, the message that he had preached to them probably just a few years prior to writing this letter. We know that Paul traveled from place to place with a small group of friends, co-workers, he often called them. And the reason he did that was to tell people something extraordinary, something that they had never heard before. And he came with a message that is familiar to us, but would have been surprising, even shocking, but a message that had uh, power and potential to transform people's lives. The very first verse of the chapter says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. So Paul came with a message that divided people, as Jesus himself had said it would. And it was a message that people chose either to accept and believe or to reject. And Paul reminds them of the essence of that message here in this chapter, verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Now, none of this is, is new to us, just as it wasn't new to the people in Corinth who first received this letter. But Paul is reminding them that it was a message that they had, first of all, heard, then received, and on which they had taken a stand. 
And at the end of the chapter, he gives them these instructions. I've already read them, but I'll read them again. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And this mirrors, if you can uh, look at it, the very start of the chapter where Paul says, verse 2, By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So we get the idea this is about standing firm. This is about holding fast. None of us wants the things that we do or the things we believe to be in vain. We don't want them to turn out being pointless or worthless in the end. And if we've chosen to believe that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he he rose three days later and appeared to his disciples, then what we want is for that to make a difference, for those things to make a difference, to be of first importance, just as they were for Paul. If we're honest, though, the majority of people don't believe these things. Most people living in Britain today do not believe anything about Jesus other than he might possibly have existed and that he taught some basic principles that are found in most religions. And so we can feel very much in the minority and that our beliefs are perhaps irrelevant or outdated or just out of step with the world that we live in. But the same was true for the people that Paul was writing to in Corinth. And that's why I think these instructions right at the end of the chapter, the ones that I want us to really focus on, these instructions are for us as well, and the encouragement that he has for the, for the Corinthian Christians serves us well. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So we can ask ourselves at the beginning of a new year, how are we standing? Do we have a firm footing? Do we have confidence in the things that we believe? Are we always giving ourselves fully to the work of the Lord? And what is the work of the Lord? And how do we go about standing firmly? Now, the idea of standing firm is one that Paul writes about often. You just have to turn over the page to chapter 16 and verse 13. And Paul repeats himself. He says, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. And another letter that Paul wrote, Ephesians is well known to us, and in chapter 6 we have these well-known words. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. So it's all about standing firm, holding on. In chapter 4 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we have a a kind of a picture that helps us to uh, understand what standing firm is all about. Christ Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So that's the opposite of standing firm, isn't it? Being tossed back and forth like waves and being blown here and there by the wind. A few months ago, we were looking at Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And there again, we have in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, these words. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. So holding fast has something to do with holding fast to what Paul has taught, what he's written, to what he's said. And it's interesting that in his first letter to the Thessalonians, in chapter 3, he says this, Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. For Paul, it made all the difference in the world that the people that he'd gone to share the good news with didn't fall away, didn't fall apart, but held firm to the things that he had taught them. And I wonder what image we have this morning, what image we have of standing firm, what that looks like for us. Over the past few weeks, I've spent quite a bit of time in the waiting area of the accident and emergency department of Chelmsford Hospital with my dad. He's 88 years old and he's been fighting an infection and he's been back in hospital three times now. But it was really interesting for me to see over the course of six or seven hours just a large number of frail people who couldn't stand firm, who couldn't even stand at all without the help of someone else 
And that, was, that spoke to me about what it means, the opposite, what it means to stand firm, what it means to hold fast. A few days ago, Alison and I watched the film Chariots of Fire, an old film, but a really good film. And I don't know if you remember, if you've seen the film, there's a, a scene in it where Eric Liddell, who, um, who was a missionary to China, is running in a race and he gets... He gets tripped up at the beginning of the race and he falls to the side, but he picks himself up and then continues to run. He actually wins the race. But for me, that's, that's a picture of someone who was standing firm, who knew what he believed in, who knew what he was about. And when he went to the Olympics in Paris in 1924, he was going to run the 100 meters or perhaps the 100 yards as it was. And the the heats uh, were on a Sunday and he refused to run in the heats because he wouldn't run on the Lord's Day. And even the, the committee, the Olympic committee with the Prince of Wales tried to persuade him that it would be okay for him to run. But no, he held fast and he refused to run on that day. And uh, as the film tells us, um, he actually is able to run in the 400 meters and he wins a gold medal at those Olympic Games. And it's a fantastic picture of standing firm. But what about us? What do we imagine when we think of standing firm? Perhaps we think of a, of a tree, a well-planted tree with roots. And no matter what happens, this, the tree holds firm. Or maybe... In our big cities, we have these buildings, these incredible buildings that reach up to the sky and are, are if they're a permanent fixture in the landscape. But the thing about all of these images is that they tend to be one person or one thing standing firm. And when Paul writes to this church in Corinth, he's writing to them as a group, when he says, let nothing move you, he's talking to them as a group, not just as individuals. So we can ask the question, how are we standing firm ourselves? But it's also important to think about how are we standing firm together as we go into this new year? And then after giving these instructions to stand firm, to let nothing move you, you plural, you together, Paul gives the encouragement to give ourselves fully to the Lord's work because we know that our labor is not in vain. So what is the work of the Lord? What do we imagine that to be? Paul's talked about the work in the Lord uh, already in this letter in chapter 3, where he says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, 
wood, hay, or straw. Their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And in chapter 9, talking about his own role, he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? So this work in the Lord has something to do with sharing the gospel, with letting others know the good news about Jesus. But then Jesus himself spoke about the work that God requires. And in John John chapter 6, having fed the 5,000 with just a few loaves and fish, Jesus has asked the question, what must we do to do the works God requires? And the answer that Jesus gives is this. It's very interesting. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And everything flows from there. To believe in Jesus, to believe in the one that God sent, is the work of the Lord. And it's the Lord's work in us, first and foremost. And it's the, and it's the Lord's work among us, first and foremost, to believe in the one that God has sent. So that's something we can think about and talk about together. How can we be an encouragement to each other, first and foremost, to believe in Jesus, to believe in the one that God sent into the world as the saviour of the world? Because from that will flow everything else, our sharing of who Jesus is, of what he has done for us, of the difference that he makes to our lives, will flow out of our believing in him. And again, coming back to uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and the start of the chapter, where Paul makes it clear that the, the gospel is that Jesus came into the world. He died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. It's a, it's a simple message, but it's holding on to that, the resurrection of Jesus which most people around us would consider to be foolishness. Something that just doesn't make sense in the world that we live in, but it's something that we believe firmly in. And I just want to encourage us, hold on to that, take that into the year ahead, and share that with one another so that we can then share it with those around us. And if you want something else to read later on today, I would recommend Psalm 40, which also talks about being lifted out of the mud and the mire, having our feet placed on firm ground and being given a new song to sing. And then the rest of the psalm talks about how we can share what God has done for us with others. So I commend to you Psalm 40. And I'll hand back to Sarah.